0: Father, as we dive uh, dive into your word this morning, I pray you would just make it clear to us. Speak to us. Your word is a lie. Your word is shaping. Your word is creative and it's transforming us. And so I pray as we dig into it today that you would um, do that work in us, that your spirit would be active in us today. We know your presence is here. Your presence was here before we got here and your presence is living in each and every one of us. We pray that you would help us to be awake to that, and to be aware of it, and to be responsive to it. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, last week we got started on the book of Romans. We're going to be uh, in this book all summer long, written by the Apostle Paul, who we know ends up writing half of the New Testament. Paul wrote these letters to different churches uh, to encourage them. Some of the churches that he himself started um, Romans is a church that he uh, the church in Rome is a church he didn't start but he writes this letter to encourage that church um, and it's a church that starts in the absolute cultural center of the world at the time and so he is sending this letter to encourage them and to spark them on. Um, Paul, we know, started off as an absolute enemy of Jesus Christ. He was against the movement of Christianity, and he did everything he could to stop it. But he has this incredible moment that the book of Acts tells us about, where Jesus Christ literally shows up and knocks him uh, off off of his donkey, off of his horse, right? Just knocks him on his back and just completely transforms his life and sends him headed in in an incredibly different direction. And so this man who had been the chief enemy of Christianity, literally putting people to death for their faith in Jesus Christ and persecuting him and pushing that as hard as he could is now headed in the opposite direction. So instead of being the chief enemy, he's now the chief encourager of it. And not just encouraging from the sidelines, but completely leading the way. At the time that this book is written, Paul has already poured 25 years of his life into helping start new churches and into uh, encouraging the spread of the gospel around the world. And so these letters, they're put together, they end up making up half of the New Testament. The chief enemy becomes the chief encourager. And, you know, this book is a book that's like rich and deep in theology, is with theology. And so he takes the life of Jesus and particularly he <coughs> focuses on the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he helps to unpack it and make sense of what that event means for us and what the life of Jesus means for us. And that is what this book here is about. So this man who was headed in one direction and gets completely turned around and him as as strong as he can in the other direction now. That life picture of Paul actually is a great image to spell out what is happening today where we are in chapter 2. This book is a book about direction. This chapter, particularly, is a book about direction, a change in direction away from ourselves and towards God. Turning away from ourselves and towards God. Is this idea of metanoia? This this word that means repentance, repentance, the Christian idea of repentance, and what it means is this one eighty degree turn, one hundred and eighty degree turn. Now I can remember I had a friend in college who was giving this like heartfelt testimony about how God had changed his life and he spelled out all the details about everything that he had been wrapped up in like drugs and just everything that you could possibly think of and then he gets to like the clutch point of his testimony and he says then he met Jesus and his life hit a 360 degree turn okay <laughs> You don't ever want to critique somebody's testimony, but you can't know, kind of laugh at that. It. Like, dude, I was totally screwed up, and I met Jesus, and I was right back where dark. <laughs> so you don't want to do a 360, all right? You want a 180. That's what we're going here for. And so that's this idea of repentance. You're headed in one direction. But because of this encounter with Jesus Christ, because of the power of the Spirit, empowering transformation in your life you turn and you are headed in an opposite direction turning away from ourselves and towards God and that's what this chapter here is about so Paul spells out um, talking about God's wrath and judgment God's wrath and judgment and when we had this set up that you know with the schedule that today we would be talking about chapter 2 we had no idea that yesterday was going to be judgment day Alright, yeah. we all made it. Congratulations. Cool. Um, I, I saw a lot of... <laughs> <laughs> oh, we did make it. We're all left yeah, No way. <laughs> yeah, I saw some funny like tweets about that yesterday. And my favorite was um, was a guy, actually a friend texted me and said, um, surprised not to see you up here. Um, sorry you didn't make it. Sucks for you. But Kirk Cameron says hello. But anyway, so Paul is talking here about the wrath and judgment of God. And this whole directional shift is he's talking about this is the way that we move from wrath and judgment into um, embracing the grace that God shows for us. It's this complete 180 and this change. So here's how he starts out, okay? We're actually going to... overlap a little bit with chapter 1 with where we were last week. But in chapter 1, he says this in verse 20, talking about how God has revealed himself to the entire world. That God reveals himself to all of the world. and He says this in verse 20 of chapter 1. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So that men are without excuse. So at the very beginning, he says, creation itself is a witness of God. Creation itself is always pointing us to God. Creation itself argues for God. And it tries, just like with what Robbie was saying earlier, about sometimes when you're out in creation, you get this moment of where you suddenly you can you know it's real, and you feel like you are experiencing the presence of God, that creation is shouts at us about the existence of God and the reality of God. And it is trying to point us to something bigger than ourselves. We probably have all had those moments where we've been out and maybe it's because of like a, a moment when we're kind of afraid of, of the power of nature or, or a moment when we're in awe of the power of nature. But we get this overwhelming, undeniable sense that we are small. That we are small and there is something out there that is far bigger than we are. And nature is shouting to us about the existence of God and pointing us to it. And God is revealing himself to us everywhere we look. Not just out in nature, but everywhere we turn. There are stories that we hear. um, and, and, And you can just sense the seed of God's presence in these stories. And God is revealing himself. And Paul lays out this. He says no one, no one has an excuse because God is everywhere and through everything God is speaking to us about His existence and about who He is. And God is drawing us to Himself and the creativity of that is absolutely without limit. It's without limit. How did God reveal Himself to you? So maybe for you... Um, You were kind of raised knowing about God, but then there's this moment where there's a transition between just knowing about Him when all of a sudden the realization (coughs) of the reality of Him breaks in on you. And you realize, I have to make a decision for myself about this. And so it doesn't just become like this kind of body of of ideas and beliefs, but suddenly it breaks through to reality for you. God reveals Himself to you that moment. Or maybe your story is more like Paul's, where you were headed in a complete opposite direction. But something happens. God breaks in somehow and there's an encounter with him in which he reveals himself to you. How did God reveal himself to you? How did he draw you in? Why are you sitting here today? How did you get here? We're going to take just a minute and give you an opportunity to think about that to pause for a minute to let that thought sink in. And if you feel like you'd like to share very briefly that idea, how God found you, then then it's open. We'd love to, to hear that and hear your story about how that happened.
1: Um, I remember when I was about 15 years old, my brother died in a car accident. Um, I was
0: actually I was 14, and I got really heavily into drugs and alcohol and all that kind of stuff back in high school. And I think it was like two, three years later, um, I myself had gotten into a car accident. Um, but fortunately enough, something told me because the seat I was in didn't have a seat belt at all. So something told me to get to the seat that worked and put my seatbelt on right away.
1: And I did it. And ever since then, like I've just been like, well, what, what have I been doing all this time? And I put myself through rehab and all that. And eventually I found out that
0: that day God spoke to me and said, it's not your time yet. You need to save yourself so you don't die like your brother. And that's how I found it. you.
2: Else.
3: <coughs> now, back in high school, I used to have a very bad drinking problem. And um, one night, me and my friends were out in the park drinking, and um, I don't know if my eyes were really playing tricks on me. Or either it was the side effects of being drunk. But well what happened was that I felt like something was watching me. And um, I looked, and it looked just like the man. He had the long blonde hair, the beard, had a white glow around him. He nodded at me, and I nodded back, and he faded away. That's how I. To me, that I don't know if I was drunk and my mom was playing tricks on me, but that's how I found him. That's cool. That's cool.
1: see them. And my aunt told me, I said, where's my father at? She said, your father's in heaven. And so immediately I believed what she told me. So the closest I could get to God was looking at the sun. And you know how the sun is so bright, you can't really, really look at it, but I was trying my best, and I started talking to the sun. I said, here I am, I'm Tom Burton. The you can't believe in God. And all the rest of in between then and now, I don't think God has never left and It was loud left him. And you know, the, remote, the most remarkable thing about not knowing about God, he never stops. He's not a quitter. <laughs>
0: He has already gone to every length you could possibly imagine to reveal himself to you. And he will continue to do that. He will continue to do that. So think about that as we go through the rest of the message. Let that kind of think, let that kind of sink in for you. How did God reveal himself to you? How did he draw you to himself? Or how is he doing it right now? How is he doing it right now? So Paul says, God has made himself clear. And no one is without excuse. God searches out every person. He reveals himself. He makes himself known. And we don't know how that happens. And it's not up to us to try to develop some kind of box to make everyone's experience fit neatly into it. We cannot do that. The moment we begin to do that, what we do is we're limiting God. And we're, we're saying that God has to submit to our um, to our realm of reason and to, to the ideas that we have about him. But He reveals Himself to us. And he is making Himself known and He's doing it even right now. For some of you, He's doing it right now. He's drawing you in. The next thing that Paul says is this. He says, so God has made Himself clear to everyone. He's revealed Himself to everyone. But our response to that is often that we turn towards ourselves instead. And so he goes through this thing here in verses um, in verse 21 and 23 through 23 where he begins to talk about the fact that even though God revealed himself through creation, instead creation turns to itself. And creation begins to chase after its own desires instead. And, and begins to worship other things. And begins to place other things at the center where God should be. And in verses 24 through 32, he begins to talk about the effects of that choice. And he says this, he talks about God's wrath. And that's something that we don't enjoy talking about, alright? I do not like talking about that, I'll be honest. But here's the here's the reality of it, and what Paul is saying. Paul is telling us here, over and over he repeats this phrase. He says, God gives us over. God gives us over To our own desires. And what he keeps saying. Is that people. Followed after a misdirected love. Love that should be directed towards God. Was directed either towards self. Or towards something else. And as a result of that. People are now reaping the results of it. And he talks about the way that wrath. Is actually something that we are bringing upon ourselves. That God is not this God who is just anxious and ready and sitting on the edge of his seat waiting to unleash his wrath and judgment on you. Okay? That wrath is not just something that, that comes, that, that God gives to us, but most often wrath is something that we bring to ourselves. And that we live out the consequences of our own decisions. And he says over and over again, they chose to follow after misdirected love And they experienced the results of that. They experienced the results of that. And that was the wrath of God on them. So wrath is not God's will for us. Wrath is not God's will for us. But tragically, it is far too often our own will for ourselves. It is our own will for ourselves. And all of us could tell stories in here about the way that we have given ourselves over to other things and that God has let that happen and that God has let us live with the consequences of those choices that we've made and how those choices have begun to destroy our lives and they begin to eat away at our lives. And we have brought wrath on ourselves. Wrath is not God's will for us, but too often it is our will for ourselves. Okay, if you're playing like a sermon, buzzword, bingo, get ready because this is like the middle square on it, okay? C.S. Lewis quote coming at you. All right. (laughs) You knew this was coming. So C.S. Lewis says this. He says, but in the end, God gives us what we want, even if what we want is freedom from himself and what could be more fair than that. And I think he nails it. I think he nails exactly what Paul is trying to say here. That what God gives us, that what wrath is, is often what we want the most. It's chasing after misdirected love. And we experience the consequences of that. Wrath is not God's will for us, but it is our will for ourselves. Too often. Here's a question to think about, and this is not one that we're going to answer out loud. Okay? But this is something we're going to pause again for just a second and something for you to think about. Wrestle with this question right here. What is the sin in your life that if left unchecked threatens to undo you? What is the misdirected love in your life that if it is not submitted to the ultimate love of God, if it is not set right and aligned with God the way it was meant to be. It threatens to destroy you. What is it? What is the thing that you need to turn away from and turn towards God on? And walk away from as fast as you possibly can. Take a minute and think about that. God take that misdirected love and realign it with his heart. Or else your life will always be out of balance and you will always be experiencing the wrath of your own will. God wants to spark repentance in us and lead us headed in the opposite direction. Away from the things that threaten to destroy us and towards himself with the promise of restoration. He does not want to destroy you. He wants to destroy you. Walk towards Him. And leave that behind The last piece here and what Paul's talking about. Um, he says this. So God has revealed Himself to the whole world but for the most part the world chooses itself instead of God and turns away and, and, and levels in this kind of misdirected love instead of love is directed towards Him. And as he's going through this list and, and just like really spelling out all of these things, the extent of sexual immorality, of greed, of lust, of all of these things that he lists here in this chapter that are destroying people, that are tearing people apart, he realizes that the original readers here who are reading this, in the Church of Rome, it's made up of two groups of Jewish Christians who are coming out of this of the tradition of their Jewish lives and also of Gentile Christians. And the word Gentile basically means anyone who was not Jewish, okay? Anyone outside of that original covenant that God made with Abraham, with Moses, with Abraham. and David. And so he realizes there are these two groups in there. And that as the Jewish Christians are reading this list, it is just, they know who he's talking about. They know that he is just pegging these Gentiles with their idolatry and with their worshiping things other than God. And they know that they're in the right place. And that they are right because they've inherited this, this heritage of worship of God. And they know that they are right because of that, right? Because God gave the law to Moses and they have done everything they could to follow God's law. So they know that they are righteous because of that. But Paul says, don't think too quickly that you are off your hook. When you hear me going down this list of things, don't think I'm not talking to you because I'm talking to you too. Because in fact, you might not be worshipping idols like of different things, but maybe you've made religion itself your idol. And you are worshipping religion, you are worshipping your understanding of God and you are missing the picture of who God himself is. So don't think you are off the hook. Your own behavior and your own idea of knowing that you are a follower of God has become an idol for you. and You are worshiping that instead of God Himself. You're missing the whole part of it. And so he goes into this thing where he begins to talk about (coughs) grace. And he talks about grace. And here's what he says here in chapter 2 in verse 4. He says, Or do you show contempt For the riches of His kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you to repentance. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance that sparks this change in our lives. And He says, don't revel in the idea of God's wrath being poured out on somebody else. Don't revel in the idea of judgment on somebody else. Because when you judge somebody else, what you have effectively done is judged yourself. You have judged yourself. Don't hide behind the law because the law actually exposes how wicked you are. Don't think that the law lets you off the hook because it's actually the law that condemns you. And so he says this. He says, what we all need is grace. Have you forgotten God's grace that He showed towards you? Don't be so quick to assume that judgment and wrath is for other people. Have you not forgotten your need for grace? How rich God's kindness was. How deep His patience has been for us. How tolerant, He says, God has been towards." us. All of us are in need. All of us are in need. And we think that it's other people that judgment is for. If we think that way, we are bringing judgment back on ourselves. He says. Think for a minute about God's kindness in your life. How has God shown his kindness towards you? And remember that probably for you, it wasn't the fear of God's wrath that sparked real change. Now maybe you were like at youth group one night, and they showed a a movie about how terrible hell is going to be. And you were like, oh, I don't want to go there. Okay, I'm in, right? (laughs) But who has that really, you know, who has experienced true transformation out of that? Very few people probably. Instead, it's not just the fear of hell that leads people to God. Yeah, it's the, the, the surprise the hope of his love for us being surprised by his kindness caught off guard by that saying really, God is kind towards me, God is patient towards me and it's that that leads us into real relationship with God it's that that leads us into real relationship with God fear can never sustain a relationship Fear can never sustain a relationship. Fear undercuts a relationship. Fear destroys and corrupts a relationship. The kindness. All for God's kindness. Reverence for the kindness that He has towards us. That is something that a relationship can built on. How has God shown His kindness towards you? And remember that in the way that you act towards other people. It's not your wrath that's going to spark change in them the kindness of God shown through you that will surprise them, that will leave them asking, what is that about? (coughs) Where does that come from? How has God shown His kindness? I'm going to open this up. This is the end here. We're wrapping up. But I want to give you guys a, a, a chance if there's someone who very briefly has something that they want to share about God's kindness towards them and how they've experienced it, how they've seen it. What's story
2: Able to live with her and it's been amazing and wonderful and um, she's leaving this morning and y'all like I woke up torn apart like I love to sleep but I was up at 730 this morning and um, but just her love for Christ has like just completely like sparked a love in Abraham that's been gone for years and um, when you meet someone like that like you' just makes you smile, and it reminds you of the joy that you were originally reminded of when he touched your life, like you were talking about, like y'all were talking about, and I don't know, that's been a really big blessing. Thank you. Mm -hmm.
3: I was blessed with three children, and there was a time in my life where I was... uh, God was breaking me down. And I'm going through a bad divorce. My children were out of school. Somehow they turned out great, despite my debaucheries. Um, So I'd lost contact with any kind of spirituality. And it was tearing me up. And one day, um, I was living alone out in the the middle of the woods, pretty much. And I was in the middle of one of my debaucheries. And for some reason, my (coughs) daughter, who was 20, uh, she was 24 at the time, had this urge, she phoned me, that she just had to come and see me. And I didn't have a phone or any kind of electricity at the time. And so she got her car and drove about two and a half hours and found me face down in the middle of the woods (laughs) or my piece of property. And it was so, uh, I mean, what else can you say? And uh, it was through through her connection, her devoted, her devoutness to, to Jesus. She told me, something. she just had this feeling that she just had to come and, and see how I was doing. And she found me face down in the woods, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and she had it. Way he, you know, than what he wants us to be. And in order for that to happen, he has to break us down. And he'll continue to do that until we, like you were saying earlier, get the picture and just give it up. And realize that there is so, some, some, you know, I mean, how can you? was talking about being out in the woods and you see something beautiful or you look at the sky and you see the stars that are shining so brightly, how can you not think that there's something much bigger than ourselves? And there was a time in my life, I I might as well have been walking around with a big old M.E. on my forehead, you know. And, And so through this breaking down of myself,
0: through the rest of the summer too from time to time we're going to be hearing your stories this is just the start of it but um, throughout the summer we are going to give people different opportunities to share um, a a glimpse and kind of a frame of their story and of of what the Holy Spirit is doing in their lives to to bring about transformation Uh, so this is kind of the start of that thank you for sharing and for being willing to share from your own stories today um, and for helping to make what we're teaching about come alive through your own lives. Um, as we wrap up and as we go out of here, walk out under this thought. What, what ways has God shown His kindness to you? How has He revealed Himself to you? What are the things that you need to turn away from and walk towards Him on? And how has He shown His kindness towards you that has led you to a place of repentance. Remember that in your dealing with other people. Remember that.